Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is brought to you by OS First, my favorite sock and compression company. I'll tell you what, I just actually ordered a bunch of socks this morning. So I have, for me, I got four pairs of their Performance Air socks, and I got four pairs of their Wellness socks. And I like the kind of the no-show ones instead of the crew size, and I'm excited to get them. So it's nice because you get the different sizes all laid out. I'm kind of like in between the two sizes, which means I always kind of like to go for the smaller one so I can pull them nice and tight. And beyond just socks, they have so many other good things. They got bunion socks, they have socks for plantar fasciitis, and they have compression sleeves for every part of your body. They really do things at such a high level. You can either shop for them on their website, osfirst.com. That's os1st.com and use code rambling to save 15% on your first order. Or you can go support them at your local independent running shop. So today's episode is with Erica Sarah. If you listen to the Ramblings on the Run episode, I think it was two months ago with Allie Feller. I said that Erica Sarah was my favorite person to follow on Instagram. We touched on it a little bit in this episode, but you're definitely going to hear why. Uh, not only do we talk about running like we always do on the Rambling Runner podcast, but we also talk about her business life. So Erica is a jewelry designer and maker and is an unbelievable one at that. She has a lot of products within the running community and beyond that, but if you follow, you know, runners on social media or just you're in the running social media, um, you know, ecosphere, I guess, or ecosystem, you're, you probably are aware of Erica Sarah designs. They, they are absolutely phenomenal stuff. And I couldn't wait to kind of get the, the inside scoop on how that was created and what she's doing with that because it's just so fascinating to me when people really pursue their dreams and passions in such a awesome way, um, as Erica has done. So. I'm really excited for you to hear this episode with Erica, because not only does she do all that, she's an awesome person. I could go on and on. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to belabor the point. Let's just get to it with Erica Sarah. Hello, Erica, and welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me. This is very cool. I am so excited to chat with you. If anyone listens to Ramblings on the Run with Allie and Matt last month, they may have heard me say that you're my favorite person to follow on Instagram, and I'm so excited to have you now here on the show. Matt, I was so shocked. I'm trying to remember who sent me a link to it, um, but I was—I think it was it was Tanya Lurch. Okay. I think. Yeah, Tanya Lurch. Yeah, she's great. Another person who's been on the show. Yeah. And I think she sent me the link and I was like, wait, what? And then I listened to it and I, I was cracking up because um, I am flattered. And if you ever, if we ever get a chance to meet in real life, you might change your mind. I'm not that cool, but thank you for thinking so. Well, <laughs> I can, I can guarantee you that that feeling is mutual, not only in terms of how much I like you, but also I am definitely not as cool in person. That's for sure. I'm, I am, I am like, um, I don't know like a bitter beer. Like I'm better in small doses. <laughs> well, not cool people united. It's all good. <laughs> well, it's funny because the tiny alert, you know, she, she was on the show. She, what, what an awesome guest she was. And she's become a really, really good friend. She's funny. She posted like this funny picture this, this morning. It was like a little show, of, like her kid, like, you know, pretending to break dance at like one year old. And it was funny. Cause it was like, brought me back. It was like the exact same move that my kids would do like every half an hour of like, 
feet are on the floor, hands are on the floor, butt is up, and then one leg kind of like shoots up and back with like a slight turn. Oh, yeah. And it was like, is that just the move that every kid does? I know you have two kids. Like, I just feel like that move has like become ubiquitous, like with one-year-olds, like around the world. Yeah, it, I, my actually, my three-year-old just started doing it this week. And I don't know where it came from. It must be because they are home watching so much TV that they're seeing it somewhere. Um, and, and yeah, both of my kids have started break dancing, break dancing in the last like two or three weeks. And I don't know where it's coming from, but if it keeps them busy, then Hey, I'm, I'm all for it. Let them, let them sit on their heads for hours at this point. <laughs> yeah. Point. And, I, and I can't wait to talk about that. Cause I think we're both living in, in like parallel lives on, on that. Um, but before we do that, I want to give some people a little bit of background. Normally I don't do like the whole, like, tell me about yourself, but you're in a situation where not only are you a fantastically interesting person, but you are quite literally a brand. You know, some people like, like to think of themselves and carry themselves in a certain way that sort of has branding elements, but your business is Erica Sarah Designs. So I guess for you, where does the person Erica Sarah start and begin and where does the brand start and begin? Oh gosh, that's a good question. I don't think there's a start or a beginning or an end or or anything. Um, and I honestly have no idea how it got. I don't even know. Like sometimes I wonder how I got to this place. Um, you know, when I when I started my jewelry business, I was in a very different place in my life, and I wanted to start a business. And I used my name because honestly, at the time, it was easiest way to set up a business without having to like file for. A doing business as name. That's seriously why my business is named Erica Sarah Designs. Um, and I just, I really do my best to put myself out there um, on social media, just as me, like as as honest as as honestly as I can. And it's funny because lately I've I've really been struggling with like what to post on social media, on Instagram, especially, you know, feeling the way I've been feeling with things just the pandemic sort of kicking me in the butt lately. But um and and I have these moments where I'm like, okay, but if I post a reality that really doesn't suit my brand, you know, does that suit my brand? I, I try to be all positive and motivational. And then I'm like, well, you know, if that's what's going on with me right now, that's that's what's going on with other people. So like that is my I hate to say brand because it feels weird, but that is my message and that is who I am and that is what my jewelry is. So like, I don't think there is a stop or a start. I think it's just, and I think that's the world we live in now. You know, I put myself out there and I put my product out there and my designs out there and either you like it or you don't and it is what it is. And, and that's sort of, that's that, you know? Absolutely. And your brand is ubiquitous within the running community, but it's much more than that. But there is so much that you do uh, within the running world, either for specific events, for um, maybe jumping on a trend here and there and just producing a completely original stuff. And you've done also such a good job of like marketing proactively in terms of like sending your stuff with a personalized touch to um, famous runners or elite runners, um, you know, uh, you know, across the country. And it's, it's funny to see where, where Erica Sarah designs just like pop up like randomly. It's, it's like, it's kind of like a cool little, a cool little game. It's like, well, where's Waldo? Uh, all of a sudden you're like, Hey, there's some Erica Sarah design. And it's like, not like a, an ad or something. Um, yeah, so, it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, so let me just rewind it back a little bit because I do want to talk about all of those things and connect it back to running. But you also do something that is quite unique in terms of making personalized jewelry, not just like you having a jewelry brand, like you make the jewelry. So walk me through, you know, like kind of like the three minute version of like how you went from someone, you know, interested in this as a kid and just playing around to someone to something where like it literally became a profession for you 
and where you're making the things, not just working from the marketing perspective or management perspective. It doesn't have to be three minutes. That was just like shorthand for like, it doesn't have to be like your full, full detailed life story. Um, but I'd love to hear more about that. And I'm sure a lot of people who are listening who love your stuff would like to hear it too. Yeah. So I've always been someone that worked with my hands. Um, I love to make things growing up. Like when we'd go to the mall in Long Island, New York, there was a fabric store. And like my favorite thing to do was to walk into the fabric store and touch fabric. Like, you know, my father had a leather manufacturing business. And after nursery school, I'd go and I'd pick leather scraps off the floor and glue it together and make jewelry for my friends. So I've always been this hands-on kind of person. Um, my, I started out in the fashion world. I was a buyer at Barney's New York. I was the corporate merchandiser for coach handbags, you know, I, which meant like I worked on designing the line and pricing the line and flew to Italy with the designers to design the line and just all that, you know, whatever cool, I guess, cool stuff. Um, but around my early thirties, I realized that the corporate world was just not for me based on maybe it wasn't for me. Maybe it was because I was going through a really rough time. I was married to someone else. I was about to head into a divorce. Um, I just basically like didn't know who I was or what I was anymore. And I just needed a, a big, big change. So around that time, I, I did, I filed for a divorce. It was an amical divorce. So nothing bad against my ex-husband. Um, it was an amical divorce. I filed for divorce. I left my corporate job and I went back to school for nutrition at NYU. And I was going to get my master's in nutrition. And I lived in New York City in, you know, by myself in this one bedroom apartment in the Upper West Side. And I didn't want to go out and party. I wasn't interested. I just, I wanted to stay home and I wanted to just be, you know? And so I started just making jewelry at my dining room table um, when I wasn't studying. I, and around the same time, I lived, like I said, on the Upper West Side, right by the finish line for the New York City Marathon. So I would always do the marathon every year. And that is actually when I started running around the same time. I had this idea that like, okay, if I could train for races and I can one day run the New York City Marathon, and I can train for marathons and I could do anything and I can get through this change in my life and I can get through this divorce and I would be okay. So it, it's sort of weird how it all happened, but it all just happened at the right time. It's like the perfect storm um, in a good way. And I sat home, I made jewelry and I started running these races. And then all my friends at the time, you know, I was early thirties, they were all started having babies and I was running races and they started getting these charms for their babies, you know, the initials for the names. And I'm like, well, I'm going to start making charms for my races. Um, and that's sort of how it all evolved. And I just taught myself how to do it. I taught myself how to engrave. I taught myself how to source metal. Um, eventually I took one class learning how to solder, you know, which means like when you, you melt, melt the silver or, or gold with fire and use chemicals. So I wanted a class so I didn't blow up my apartment. Um, but other than that, I'm pretty much self-taught and I just started, I taught myself how to build my own first website. I learned CSS to do it. Um, I learned marketing. I learned graphic design. I basically taught myself everything I could possibly do. To Can start. I stop you right there? Yeah. I just want to jump, want to jump in right here. Um, so what was the process like for you in terms of the, the learning process and the excitement of doing new things with the other side of like, did you have expectations? Did you have certain benchmarks or goals? Or was this merely like a learning exploration process? This was, it's funny, I was going to school for nutrition but I've always been sort of very into business. Like growing up, like I said, I, I made pins. Like if I lost a tooth, I wouldn't put it under my pillow to get money from the tooth fairy. I would negotiate with my parents a business deal. Um, in college, I started my own businesses, 
you know, tutoring people or, or other things. I, I've always been into business. So around this time I was in school, but I was like, huh, I could probably do this for a business. Oh, and people started actually asking me for, started running. I became a part of the New York City running community and people started asking me, oh, where could I buy that? You know, I started doing um, trunk shows at different, at different spots. That's actually how I met Allie in person, Allie Feller. Um, and people started wanting this. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I can make a business out of this. And, and that's just how it was born. I've always been someone that wanted to be in my own business, that wanted to own my own business. I've always been very driven by, um, by business, by work. I, it sounds weird. Like I, I sort of, I love work. Um, so it just seemed like a great idea. Also, like I said, all my friends were having, having babies and I had come from this corporate world where like women were working, you know, these insane hours. And I worked in a mostly female office, but like people working till seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. And and I was like, okay, one day when I do, you know, meet the right person, I want to have a family. I don't want to work until seven, eight o'clock at night. Um, which is actually funny now because I work even later than that because I have my own business. But I, I thought that, you know, if I could start this business, and really make a go of it, then eventually I would have something that would be mine and that I could do while being a mother. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And at what point did you start making concrete decisions on exactly the kind of niches you wanted the jewelry to play in? Obviously, you can't be all things to all people. So what was that um, that segmenting decision like and how did that evolve? It's funny, Matt. I don't think I, I have done that yet. <laughs> I mean, I guess I have. You know, you see me in the running world a lot, and a, and a lot of my identity to myself is as a runner. So a lot of what I post on Instagram and online for social media is running based jewelry. But I have these whole entirely different, you know, assortments that are more mother's jewelry or more memorial jewelry. I do like a line drawing collection, and most of those pieces aren't running based at all. Um, but it did start in the running world. You know, it started with the pieces I was making for my for my own races. And then um, a funny story, Allie Feller is actually um, a big part of my business and, and career journey. But I, I did a trunk show, like I said, at a spa and she saw it and she put it in her blog. Um, Fitness Magazine saw it in her blog. Fitness Magazine contacted me to do a piece for the, at the time it was the Fitness More Women's Half Marathon in New York City, which was like one of the biggest women's only half marathons in the country. So I did a piece for their race. Um, Dina Castor was at the race. I made a necklace for Dina because she stopped by my booth. She wore it. Um, Jane and David Monty, I don't know if you know them. I'm assuming you do. Of course. Yeah. So I met Jane Monty at that. Jane contacted me to do the New York City Marathon jewelry for the Elite Runners. Um, I became friendly with them, started doing like, so I think it's sort of just where I don't think I made a, an actual decision. It's just where life took me. It was just like a very organic path. Now, when you look back on that time and those series of events that all seem very much linked to mm-hmm. you, just, and this is just a personal, you know, your personal take on this. And I don't think there's a wrong answer either. Do you ascribe that to more of like fate destiny type thing? Like this is, this is proof that this is the like God's plan for me type feel, or this is what the universe has in mind, or is this more of like, Hey, this is, this is what happens when you put yourself out there and you never know how things are going to unfold. You just have to keep working and keep, you know, keep putting yourself in the game. That's a great question. I I think it's honestly a little bit of both. Um, I think, you know, you, you have to have the opportunities. So, uh, you know, but you also have to make the opportunities for you. So, I was lucky enough that I had the opportunity to, you know, be at home because I'd worked already and 
um, so, so hard. And I, and I did, you know, put away all this money. So I was able to invest in myself. So I took that money and invested in making this business. Um, but, you know, you do have to contact the spas and say, hey, I want to do a trunk show and then hope people show up. Um, and then, you know, hope they like what you do. I think with the New York Roadrunner thing, like, you know, fitness magazine contacted me and I, and I ran with it and I was like, okay, well, Dina Castro is going to be there. I'm going to make Dina necklace. And then it was like, okay, how do we get Dina to show up at the booth? Who can I contact in New York Roadrunners? And, and that's really like, that was me going forward and taking the reins with it. Um, you know, but Dina didn't have to show up at the booth. And if she did, she didn't have to like the jewelry. And she didn't have to wear the jewelry, you know? Um, and you didn't have to play it cool. Like, I would have, like, freaked oh, out. She yeah. <laughs> came up to, like, hey, this guy's recording a podcast. I would have been like, yeah, but I can't talk anymore because Dina Castro's here. It's really, you know, that's funny. That's something my husband always talks about with me. Um, I've been really fortunate to work with a lot of um, different elite runners. Um and he always says that they often invite me around because I don't do that. Like, you know, I, I used to get to around New York City Marathon Week when I did the jewelry, I would go have lunch with them. And he's like, just remember to play it cool. I'm like, babe, I always play cool. He's like that. Yeah. He's like, and that's why they invite you back. <laughs> you know, like I walk into the suite and I don't ask for pictures and I don't miss that. And I know that's completely normal, but I don't know. I, I just try to, you know, remember that I wouldn't want people, you know, taking pictures of me. So I just try to, I try to be cooler than I am. What can I say? And when people say, say someone's hearing this story and it's captivating, it's very interesting. And I love the backstory here. And they're either about to embark on their own, you know, side hustle or experimentation or something that they've wanted to do for a long time. Um, but maybe it's not their, their primary business, um, as such. And they hear it's like, oh, well, like, well, this sounds easy for her. She just did it. And then look at this. It all just kind of fell into her lap. Like, the, how, how nice was that? That just isn't my life. Like, can you think back? to times where, especially early on when this was still like, you know, the, the, the genesis of this idea was still early and it could, it still could have gone in a different direction um, where maybe things didn't go your way and you had to battle back or you had to deal with frustration or failure or things along those lines. Oh my gosh, Matt, like every, every week. Um, I know it sounds like it was easy. This was so not easy. This is so freaking hard. You know, when I say like, oh, I was lucky enough to have the funds to do it. I worked my butt off to have those funds. You know, I worked to get to college on a full academic scholarship. You know, um, I worked through college to keep the scholarship. I worked full time so I could pay for my rent and my car. And so that when I came out of college, I had a savings account so I could move to New York City and take the jobs I wanted to take, even though they wouldn't necessarily pay the bills. You know, I worked my butt off in those early years in New York City to save money um, and to get to where I wanted to be. And then it's all taken insane work. Um, you know, I've had situations where I've had a race, you know, someone, someone contacted me about a race and I work my butt off and I spend days doing it only to find out I made a huge mistake and I have to start all over again. Um, my fingers are often raw and bloody. My eyes always have bags under them. I work sometimes insane round the clock hours. None of this is easy. Um, and, and I think you see a lot of these stories out there right now. People, you know, making millions of dollars in the stock market or what. And, and everyone thinks that money and, and success is so easy to come by. It's not like you have to work your butt off and you might have a situation where, you know, you work on something. I've worked on collections of people that failed miserably, you know, and I, and I spent weeks working on them and developing them and no one was interested. And I've had other collections where I worked five minutes and they were a huge success. Um, but you have to keep going and it's not going to be easy. And if you want to start your side hustle, you're going to, you know, be, be ready to work your butt off a lot, all the time. 
<laughs> right. And just because you're doing something you love doesn't mean you're always going to love everything that you do. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm choking on water. Yeah, no, I definitely don't always love everything I do. Um, that's a struggle. And, you know, sometimes I have these conversations with Robert, my husband, like, okay, this collection, you know, it sells really well, but man, I am getting sick of making this collection or, you know, this collection during holiday takes so much time and my fingers are raw and bloody. And I just, can I take this off the website? Oh, but look, it's like, you know, 50% of my sales or 60% of sales. I can't, you know, that's, that's just, you have to make those decisions and go for it and, and know that it's not always going to be, you know, all rainbows and butterflies. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in the stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's, it's legit and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that Getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Hey, everybody, do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like, so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner, 
$1.79. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RAMBLINGRUNNER179 today. That's up to $104 value. Yeah, and one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on today is because just the nature of work in America is changing because of COVID. And this probably is going to happen eventually anyway because of all the technological tools that we have. But I feel like because of COVID, the idea of working for home and the democratization of where people can live to do their work and, and, and go on down the line, it really has opened up things where people – are exploring different options of things that they can do. And whether it's from a work from home perspective or starting a new business perspective, or maybe you're you know, doing something, it doesn't have to be starting your own business, but doing something independent of others in a way and doing something fairly new and having the versatility to do it in their house. It does open the door for a lot of possibilities for people that maybe they would have been less inclined to explore in the past. So when you think about what you've done to prepare yourself for that. One of the things I, that you mentioned before that I wanted to touch on too is that it seemed like your job, like again, with Barney's and that coach, which a lot of people would view as like a destination job, right? Like this is the job that I always wanted. It seems like you kind of view that as like the, like almost like the funding mechanism for the job that you really wanted with Erica Sarah Designs. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny when I was in college or before college, I really wanted to go to uh, fashion school, design school, um, either FIT or Parsons. And my dad said, no, he said, you know, you need to have a business degree first because anything you're going to do will revolve around how to run a business. So I went to a state school, University of Florida, got my business degree, went into the world and learned it. And then I was able to come out and do what I'm doing. Um, and, and I do think, I think that the world, I think this pandemic has just made it more obvious how much opportunity to some degree. I know there are definitely many challenges, especially now, but how much opportunity there is out there to do your own thing. If you can figure out what that thing should be and if you can figure out how to make it happen, um, I think it's just highlighted it more, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a part of that, too, is just the idea of exploring what you're interested in. And then also the idea of not, and this is very similar to running from like a running goal perspective of like making sure that you don't like kill your motivation by having like crazy, audacious, short-term goals that can really suffocate these ideas. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's sort of like, you know, when uh, I think, you know, running marathons has been become, especially because of social media has become a very cool thing to do, you know? Um, and I, I agree. I think it's, it's an awesome thing to do, but you see a lot of new runners coming in and saying, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to train for a marathon before realizing like, okay, before you train for a marathon, like let's get to running, you know, like 20 miles a week. Let's start there. Now let's start run training for, you know, maybe a 5k, maybe a 10k, maybe a half marathon, you know, like start somewhere before you jump ahead. Um, and it's, it's the same thing with, with everything in life, but especially with business and any goal you have, like take the steps. I, I can't remember what podcast it was. I think it might've been a ritual podcast or something like that, but they were talking to some, a business, a businessman, a successful career man. And they were saying that the quickest way to failure is to jump ahead of the first five steps, you know, take your first five steps. What do you have to accomplish before you get to step six or seven or eight or nine or 10? Um, because if you jump ahead, you're never going to get there. And it's, it's part of, you know, it's, it's that in running, it's that in business, it's that in life. So 
what are the first five steps I ask myself? <laughs> right. All right. If you have little ones in the room, um, cover your ears because I'm about to say a curse word. Um, yeah, th- this reminds me of another saying that I heard. And, I'm, and as you were talking, I was like racking my brain. It still hasn't come to me. If you can think of it, please let me know. Of course, by the time I press publish on this episode, it will come to me. Um, but the I th- the thinking was, or the, the saying was, is that when you're thinking about something like this, you need to figure out your, your basically your favorite flavor of shit sandwich. Because like, no matter what venture you choose, like you're going to be eating a shit sandwich along the way. And you have to figure out exactly like which aspect of that you're okay with doing, which is aspect you're not okay with doing. Right. For some people, that's like the two hour commute. They're like, I can't do that. Like whether it's family or whatever, like I can't do that. So even if I like the job, that's a flavor of a shit sandwich I can't eat. Whereas someone would have like maybe the exact opposite. And it really comes to understanding what your personal preferences are. And maybe you have to kind of nurture that to figure out exactly how that plays out in certain industry industries. But the idea that it's going to be, you know, a path lined with gold, even in the early stages of like, yeah, it's small, but it's perfect right now. And it's lovely. And it, it really is. Um, It never really kind of comes to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. It's never, it's never a hundred percent lovely. Let's be honest. Like you have those moments where it's like, Oh, you know, see a rainbow. Yay. Everything's happy, but that's, that's not all the time, you know? And, um, I think it's important to put that out there and, um, you know, Robert, my husband, he's my quote, I'm, I'm doing air quotes right now, my running coach. Um, cause I, I make him be my running coach, but you know, we talk about often how in order for me to get to that faster marathon speed or the half marathon speed, I have got to work harder. And he's like, you have to be willing to feel the pain. You have to be willing to accept the pain. You have to be willing to know that if you're going to run, you know, this half marathon in under two hours, that for most of those under two hours, you're not going to be comfortable. And it's the same thing with, with, you know, starting your own business or starting your own venture or, or any really a lot of parts of your life. Um, and it, even like with being a parent, right? Like you brought that up before. I mean, you can look at all these gorgeous parenting social media accounts where everything looks like, you know, fluffy, happy rainbows. And I just use the word rainbow a lot, but you know what I'm saying? Like all happiness, but they're not showing the behind the scenes where like their kid woke them up for three hours in the middle of the night, screaming and crying, you know, or where their kid took, you know, poop from the diaper and, and spread it all over the wall. Um, oh God, that just hit me like, thinking like a visceral reaction. <laughs> said that. I think it was like, like the, the imagery mixed with PTSD from a prior experience. Exactly. But like, if you're going to be a parent, you have to expect that, you know, there are going to be some really, really rough times. If you're going to train for a, four, a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, whatever your distance, you have to expect there are going to be some really rough, hard times to get to where you want to be. And the same thing with business and the same thing with, with everything, you know, nothing comes easy. Um, and people that make pretend that, that it does, like, I don't believe them. All right. So let's talk about some of this because from a scheduling perspective, that can also be a spot that's tough. So you already talked about the hours that you work and that's like the blessing and a curse of having your own business of like, Hey, there are no set hours here. Like this is just the way it's going to be. And when you have certain obligations, you need to meet them and, and so on and so forth. If you have certain goals, you have to work accordingly. With that said, you have two kids, right? And with that said, like you want to be and are someone who spends a lot of time running and going after certain running goals and being part of the running community so let's talk about scheduling and we can let's just do pre pre COVID. 
Uh-huh. And then we can go into what has happened over the last, you know, 10 to 12 months. But even pre-COVID, there's no way that this was a seamless scheduling, um, you know, transition when the kids started getting in the mix to an already busy life that you had established. Yeah, no. Oh, gosh, no. So um, about two and a half years ago, we moved out here to North Carolina. Before that, we were in Lehigh Valley. Robert was the executive producer of Runner's World um, Online. And when he left RW, we were like, we can go anywhere in the world. You know, let's go to North Carolina. It's sunnier there. And we are both going to run our own businesses. And we're both going to parent and is going to be this wonderful, copacetic, happy, lovely world. And boy, were we in for a rude awakening. <laughs> you know, before Robert went to an office, he brought the kids to daycare. And all of a sudden, we're down here. And we're both working from home. And we think it's going to be this easy schedule. And it's just not. Um, but we figured it out. We put both kids in awesome daycares here, part-time, you know, a half day. And we juggle the schedule. Um, some days he has them, some days I have them. I am extremely fortunate to say that I married a a man who is extremely hands-on in parenting. Um, and for all you people, they're going to say, oh, you shouldn't have to thank your husband for that. I thank him for that because we should all thank our spouses, whether they're husbands or wives for that. So, um, but I, I did marry a, a, a man who loves being a dad, who's really good at being a dad and is very 100% um, a partner in in parenting. So it hasn't been me having to sacrifice, you know, my time as a mother to work or his time, you know, he doesn't have to sacrifice his time as a father to work. It's more like, how do we as a team make this work for our family? Um and then the pandemic happened and I went in and I wrote this whole post at the beginning saying, hey, guys, you can do it. You know, this is going to be OK. Robert and I have been doing this for, for a year and a half and like we got it down and here are the tips. And I could go back that post now and be like, um, I'm sorry that I wrote this because it's all BS. <laughs> Parenting through a pandemic from home is just it's a whole different it's a whole different ball game. Um, you know, our schedule Really, what I could say to anyone who's looking for a schedule is sit down, have the conversation, figure out what might work, create it, stick to it. And then if it doesn't work, come back in a week and revisit. Or if it does, revisit it until you get to the point where it works. And you're going to have to change. You're going to have to you know, be flexible and and modify it. Um, Our latest schedule, we actually just started a new one. We started it three weeks ago and then school closed for two weeks because of an outbreak. Um, but our kids are back in as of today. Thank God. Um, but really, you know, where we are now is I take both kids in the morning to school. Well, breakfast starts at seven. Robert starts working at seven. So I do breakfast to the kids, get them ready for school, take them to school, drop them off at 830, come back and I get to work the whole day. Robert stops at work at 12, goes to pick them up at 1230. They get picked up at the same place, but at different times, hangs around, brings them both home until about like at around 1, 1.30. And then they go down for rest time. He gets a little more work done. And then they, um, then they're together all afternoon at five o'clock is a hard stop for work time. I make dinner. We have, you know, dinner and family time and bedtime. Um, and we both have to fit our runs or workouts sometime in there. Yeah. When does the run happen? Because I'm hearing this yep. and I'm like, all right. Yeah. yeah. So like, for, like, not, only, not only does the run have to fit in, but like, you know, you yeah. can't just be like, I just had lunch, belly's full. Oh, here's my hour of running window that all of a sudden spontaneously manifests itself. But now I have like a grilled cheese and soup in my belly. Like what's going to happen now? Exactly. So we, um, we have to fit our run in during our work time, during our, our, 
us time. So like when I say I get, you know, that whole day to work, I have to fit my run in sometime in there. I should actually also add on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I take the kids after rest time because if I didn't do that, then they wouldn't see me at all besides, you know, dinner time and breakfast time. And, and I, I don't want that. That's not why I started my own business. So twice a week, I do have them in the afternoon for, for two or three hours before dinner. But um, we have to fit it in. Like, you know, today, Robert worked from 7 till 1030. He just went out for his run now. He's going to come home. He just got home, actually. Um, is going to take a quick shower and is going to get back to work and then go pick up the kids, you know. And he used to run, you know, up to 70 miles a week. And now he's doing really short runs. He's doing, you know, a 30-minute run every day and one long run on the weekend. And that's it. Because that's all we have time for right now. And I think that's that's a big message like to people that, you know, luckily, hopefully this pandemic won't go on forever. You can't do everything now. You can't. Like it's not physically possible and cut yourself some slack. If you used to be, you know, a 50, a 50 mile a week runner and now you can fit in 30 miles a week, embrace it. Accept the fact that like, or, or be happy that that's what you can fit in, you know, like, um, and if you still fit the 50 in, or if you have time for more then embrace that too, but don't beat yourselves up when you don't have the time. I basically lately have been doing, um, I'll drop the kids off and there's a great greenway close to there. So I'll drop them off, do my run from school and back. And I allot myself like one hour to get a run done and to get home and then, um, go home quickly, shower, eat and get to work. Um, that, that's my schedule too. Cause I, I do drop off and we're home this week with February vacation, but yeah, that's, that's my move too, is it drop off into run. Cause then if it doesn't happen, then it gets, it starts getting a little sticky after that. Yeah. If you wait, it just sort of never happens. Um, and then you, the whole day it's like hanging over your head. Cause you really, really want to get it in, but how are you going to get it in? And yeah. So, or, and I also, I got a spin bike during this whole thing not a Peloton, but, um, so one of the other much, much, much cheaper ones. <laughs> and, uh, if it's a day where I can't go for a run, I have trained my children to enjoy their indoor bike rides too. We set up their, their little bikes with, um, training wheels on it. And we put, you know, the sneakers under there. I'm sure you've seen that. And I'll, put oh, I've done it. I've yeah. done that move. That's a great one. It's awesome. And, and you know what? We put on a Peloton workout and then we put a TV. We just put, put a gym in the playroom so I could work out while they're playing. And we put a TV in there so we can stream workouts. And the other day we put on a Peloton workout. Robert went on the elliptical. I went on the bike. The two kids went on their bikes. We did a 25 minute workout. And then Robert went and did his, he has like a punching bag in his office. And the kids, the kids did, um, I put on YouTube videos where they can learn dances and they just learn like to dances and other things while I continued my workout. And then at the end, we all did yoga together. Like you just sort of, you know, it's not ideal, but you, you, if you want to do it, you make it work and, or you don't, and that's okay too. You know, it's okay. It is. You're right. It absolutely is. And I love how like sanguine you are about that when discussing it. Are you that calm and relaxed when things don't go as planned or when you're not able to get these things in, in the moment? Or, or or can you can kind of maintain this equanimity throughout? So the very honest answer is it depends on how much sleep I've had. <laughs> if I've had sleep, I can handle it. If I have not, I have a complete meltdown. That's that's the honest answer. Um, you know, if I've gotten a good night's sleep, then I can organize my family to do that workout. If I haven't and I can't get my workout in, I'm you might find me on the floor crying because I'm tired and stressed out. Um, and, you know, sometimes it takes my kids or my husband to say like, yo, chill out, you know, calm down. Um, it's going to be okay. And and sometimes it takes me as a phone call to my mom to get the same thing. But um, 
but you know, we're all human. So there you go. All right. So what is, if you can go back in time and think about which race that you um, prepared for the most, not prepared for the most, but like basically it was your best race, like um, training and race experience. Where, where, which one was that for you? That's true. It's been so long since I've trained for a race. Um, I, that's a really good question. I have to be honest. I don't know. Honestly, my last big race I, I ran was awful. Um, and you know, it was, I bombed it completely and, and I'm okay with that. Um, I did a virtual half that Robert and the kids planned out for me, um, in May, right after the pandemic started. And, and it would it be weird if I said that, that would be it. Like, I can't explain why. Oh, I can't explain why. I mean, it wasn't, you know, a, a actual organized race. Uh, Robert mapped out the course for me and the kids created a, an aid station for me. Um, but I trained for it and he wrote me a training program and I missed my goal by one minute and 20 seconds, which was a bummer. But um, I guess maybe just getting out there and, and pursuing a goal, you know, when when no one was forcing me to, or not that anyone ever forces you to run a race, but I don't know. I'm trying to think of any race that's actually an organized race where I felt that recently. Cause I have to be honest, it's been a, it's been a pretty long time since I, I really have run races. Um, you know, cause once I, I used to run races like every weekend in New York city when I lived there. And then, um, once I ha- started having kids, I had a pretty rough, um, a pretty rough birth delivery with Emmett and had major complications after. So it took a long time to get back out there. And then getting pregnant with Orly was, was a significant ordeal too with, with surgeries involved and stuff. So I was really out of commission for, for so many years. Um, and I, what's funny is like, you know, when we moved out here and, and the kids were finally old enough to both of them be in daycare, like I was supposed to start training again and getting into it. And then this pandemic happened. So Matt, I have to be honest. I can't remember. <laughs> well, I think the half, the half marathon definitely counts, right? Because I mean, ultimately, for so many of us, like we're not, you know, the vast majority of people who listen to this aren't going out and like competing for a win in a race, right? So even if like you go to a huge race or even a smaller one, like it really is just like a race against ourselves, yeah. right? There's little mini competitions within a race, or maybe you want to outkick somebody near the end who you will never see again in your life or whatever. Uh, but ultimately, like all these races are a race against ourselves. So I think absolutely like the virtual race counts from from an amateur running perspective because there's nothing about it that you wouldn't have to put yourself through it in a normal race. In fact, in a lot of ways, it can be harder because you don't have like the group effect. You don't have this idea of like, Hey, there's, you know, maybe a scattering of fans near the end. Um, I guess the positive is that you can kind of run a route that you've already run before and you can just kind of like meander over to the starting line whenever you feel like it. Um, But no, I, I definitely think that counts. So, so thinking back, looking forward now, obviously we're not going to put a timeline on this, but you did mention that like when you moved out to North Carolina, that you did have this idea of like, all right, like this does mean that once the kids are in school then I can maybe start ramping up a little bit from a running perspective, are there certain races that you do have in mind that when the time comes, you are excited to compete in? So yes, um, but it's more about just, it's not, yes. Okay. So right now I have a fall half marathon on my calendar that I will go to if it's safe to, um, whether or not it happens, you know, it may or may not happen if it happens, but I feel like it's not safe yet, then I won't do it. But I do have goals for this year, finally, for the first time in a long time. 
Um, and so there's, I'm not going to say what it is yet because not really, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to commit to it, you know, but I'm, I'm like not totally there yet. Um, honestly, so in our family, like, you know, Robert's done a lot of the big races and most of our vacations are around races. So for me, I want to just start adding, like start adding races back to my calendar, but I like a lot of the small random races in the middle of nowhere. Um, the idea is just for us to get around to see, like, to see the country. So, um, I know like Robert's hoping to do one in Alaska in the next few years. So I'd love to do, you know, the same time as him, if we can get someone to watch the kids. Um, but other than that, I mean, I don't have a big dream to be cute. Um, I don't know why there are moments where I'll be on a run and be like, Oh my gosh, you know what? One day I can be cute. This is it. But when I take a look at like my entire life and how that would fit in, I don't know that it would fit in unless I could figure out a way to make my business run smoother without me being there all the time. You need to start teaching out, teaching Robert how to solder. Be like, listen, the web development has run its course. The internet is a fad. Come over here and start working with hard metals. Uh, if you honestly, Robert does so much work for ESD. He, you know, we're working on building a new website and he does all the back end, like, financial stuff and he built an inventory system and everything. So he's uh he works like hours and hours on my business already. We need yeah, the goal this year had been actually to, to to try to find a way for me not to do everything to bring on a team of some sort. But then the pandemic happened and um I can't really safely find a way to do that. So <laughs> I'm on my own still. But it's hard. It's hard for me to really think of like what a specific race would be. I sort of look at things more in terms of what I want my entire lifestyle to be, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Um, yeah. When I started this, I had dream races. Now I just sort of have dream scenarios. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about just the um, the amateur runners. I know your your collection is much broader than this, but from a running perspective, and the people who are listening to this certainly fall into that category. When you're thinking about making jewelry or not even making jewelry, but you know, making pieces whose um you know, maybe it's their words or their formation, you know, basically align with the positivity that you want to strike as an artist, but also aligns with the the thought processes of the people who would buy them in terms of like the kind of like inspiration slash motivation type feeling that they want, where do you go to really try to harness that feeling? And how do you kind of like, I guess from a, from a, like a crowdsourcing perspective, come up with ideas for um, ways to, you know, create that feeling within your potential customers um, when you're coming up with pieces that aren't like maybe aligned with a certain race or athlete or things like, things like that. Yeah. So um, a big part of what I try to do with my jewelry and, and where it all started was to make it stuff that you could wear every day that fits into jewelry. Like I remember when I first started it, um, a lot of the running jewelry I thought there was just stuff I, I would never wear. Um, and so that is really what I go after when I design pieces. I wanted to be something that someone could wear every day. They could wear, you know, to the office or during a race and, you know, even to some more formal events here and there. Um, and I just, in terms of what is engraved on it, it I, I really do create just about every single piece to order. So I let the customer figure out what that is. And a lot of times I guide them and I help them. I offer some ideas. Um, and, you know, a lot of times in my, especially my social media feed, I'll, I'll share stories and where, where an idea came from. But in terms of the mantras and the quotes and, and whatnot, um, 
I think that it's all really, really, really personal. What's going to motivate you or inspire you or what your story is. So I like to give, you know, you guys the options of this is how you can wear it. Um, but what do you want it to say? I, I can't put those words in your mouth, you know, and I, I can't, I can't tell you what should inspire you or motivate you, but I could give you a place to wear it and express it. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. And when do you decide or how do you decide that you're going to maybe take one of those, um, those phrases or whatever, like that, say someone comes to you like, Hey, this is what I want to have. Um, this is what I want you to create for me or my friend, or, you know, depending on who's receiving it. And then you morph it into like, maybe should I, should I open this up to maybe your broader audience? What's that decision-making process like for you? Um, when you go from, you know, a personalized construction, maybe to something that you feel like has more broader, has, has a more broad reach. Um, I, you know, I used to do it actually more readily. I used to be like, oh, this is an idea and I love it. I'm adding it. Um, but I'm finding that harder and harder to do now. It's, it's a big time constraint, especially since, you know, I make it all myself and I photograph it myself and edit the website myself and all that stuff. So, uh, so a lot of times I'll put it on Instagram on a poll, um, and I'll see what the response is or not even a poll, but I'll just put on the line and see the responses. Um, really just, I guess, crowdsourcing or if it speaks to me, you know, or if it's something that I think can just fit into my, into my assortment on a daily basis or in general, you know, um, I don't know, honestly, some days it's that I have the time to do it. And some days it's that I don't, (laughs) um, some days I, I love something that I made that's custom and I take a picture of it and I put it on a list to add eventually when I have time, you know, it's really, I wish I could say there was a bit, a better formula to it, but these days it's really like what I have time and energy for, you know, is, is that lame? I don't know. No, no I feel the exact same. No, I, I know exactly where you're coming from. It makes all the sense in the world, especially when you're one person operation in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So what's it been like for you now that so many businesses have embraced the direct to consumer model over the past year because they had to. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, if you're, if you're the middleman in a lot of industries, like 2020 wasn't great for you um, in a lot of ways, uh, unless your middleman is named DoorDash, I guess. <laughs> um, so with that said, has that, has that changed anything on your end in terms of maybe like peaking people's interests or maybe people feeling like they are more open to, you know, buying a custom made thing that they can't actually like see or feel in person? Um, you know, I think definitely, I think businesses that are more, you know, online, direct to customer, direct to customer, were definitely, things were iffy for a little while when, when everything started and then come holiday season, I think we definitely benefited because a lot of people weren't going in stores. Um, I, I honestly like to say that, or like to think that there's a customer for all of us and, you know, if you're going to put your product out there and you're going to stand behind it, people will buy it or they won't. Um, that's the philosophy I sort of, I sort of go with. I try to create, you know, items that a wide variety of people will like, and it'll speak to them. And, and I just go with that. I know it sounds like, I know I should put more thought into it and like, there should be like a more, a better answer, but, um, I don't know. I, I didn't, you know, for me, honestly, the biggest effect was availability, availability of, of materials, you know, during the pandemic, like, how am I going to get my silver? How am I going to get my chain? How am I going to, and oh my gosh, but like what happened with the market with silver the other day with the whole stock market craziness, you know, like that's what 
impacted me the most. And um, shipping. I know shipping for you has oh been, my God. been wild. That's been, yeah, that could cause me to start crying. Uh, I have a customer who just got their order last week from December. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. And I ship everything priority insured, like, you know, trackable everything. I have packages still missing. I have a package that was supposed to go to, I've got what country, Australia, I think, but they sent it to Japan instead. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a disaster, but, um, you know, the pandemic has been hard in a lot of ways. For me, it's been more of a struggle in terms of resources, whether it be materials and time than actually having customers. I think that, um, and this is something that actually, I think a lot of people who, if you are looking to start a business or a brand, I think a big part of it these days is, is putting yourself out there and showing people who's behind what, what the product, you know, who's behind the product and, and what are you buying into and who are you supporting? You know, um, in, in our family, like my business is, is a significant part of our income. That's how we planned it. That's what we wanted. So people know that like, if, you know, they're buying from ESD instead of Amazon, they're actually, you know, supporting our family and not supporting whoever that CEO of Amazon is. I forgot his name. I can't believe I just forgot his name, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Take that Jeff Bezos. Thank you. Jeff Bezos. This is in my brain, but his name, I couldn't get it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. Like I said, and I think that the pandemic has highlighted that. And I think that, you know, if you want to start something, go for it, whether it be running, whether it be a business, just do it, you know, just do it. I I can certainly align with what you're talking about in terms of when you put yourself out there in an open, honest, and frank way on social media, it can be kind of, I can, I can imagine it being like, you know, you have like this pit in your stomach when you do it. Cause you're like, all right, is this oversharing? Does this align with like what I want my brand to be? But I also want to be honest. And I can, I'm sure people can relate to this feeling and so on and so forth. I certainly can relate to a lot of the things that you post. And it's why one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of following yours. With that said, I want to talk about like the, the parenting side of this, because I feel like there are moments where you express frustration that I'm like nodding my head as I'm reading <laughs> Your post. And like, this is exactly how I'm feeling now, or this is how I felt, you know, not that long ago. And one of those things is I want to talk to you specifically about is that I feel like you are primed to discuss is like the idea of like giving your two kids, you know, space to be creative and explore just like you've done. In a lot of ways. And you mentioned before, you this is how you started, you know, when you were 10, right? This is where the journey began for you while also, you know, having house rules and things like that. So it's not just a madhouse, but trying to toe the line between these two worlds or concepts. Yeah. Um, so it has taken a long time together. That did not come naturally to me. I am a naturally anxious person. And, you know, with myself, I can, I can just let loose, but with kids, like, man, that emotional liability of letting loose your kids, that's, that's big, you know? Um, I've learned how to let them explore more through watching friends and through honestly, um, Robert, um, you know, the other day we went, we went, uh, scootering and my kids are like zooming down a bridge over water, like up and down hills. And I am having a heart attack the entire time. And Robert is just like, don't say a word, don't say a word, hold back. You know, like I'm realizing like you have to let them explore, to let them like you can't 
your kids are not going to learn how to fail unless you let them fail. You're, they're not going to learn how to get back up after they fall unless you let them fall. You know, um, it's, you know, it's just what you have to do. So like, yeah, I let them, you know, cut vegetables with, you know, kids safe knives, but Orly cuts her fingers once in a while. And, and instead of me saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, be careful. It's okay, sweetie, look what happens when you have your finger on the way, you know, um, you have to let them learn. Uh, you know, I think, I think it's a, it's a big difference than when we were growing up, you know, when I was growing up, both my parents worked full time out of the house. And, and so they weren't there to be helicopter parents. Um, and I think now a lot of people have become helicopter parents and I think it's doing kids a disservice and we have to unlearn it. I, I tell this story, um, when Emmett was a baby, I was invited back to my camp and I hope no one gets mad at me for sharing this, but I was invited back to my old summer camp to teach like a jewelry making class for a week. And so I went and these kids were, I want to say they were like 12 or 13 years old and half of them could not do anything for themselves. Like when I say they would be like, uh, Miss Erica, where are the pencils? And I would say, look in front of you, they're on the table. Like these kids did not know how to do anything themselves. And I don't want that for my kids. I want my kids to know how to do it, you know? So I let them make a giant mess, but after they make a giant mess, I expect them to clean it up, you know? Um, Emmett likes to take his, he gets those, you know, we get those peanut butter filled pretzels. He likes to take them apart and eat the peanut butter inside and then the pretzel on the outside. And it drives me insane because crumbs get everywhere, but I hold my mouth and I hold my breath. And then when he's done, I say, okay, kid, go get the vacuum. Now it's time to vacuum up your mess. That's how he's going to learn that he made a mess and he's got to vacuum up, you know, does that, does that answer your question? Like you got it. Yeah, it, it, it does. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, it's so I'm, hard. Pretty, I'm, I'm like, I'm like going through my morning. Like, all right, what, what how should yeah. I approach this? Uh, cause I, this is definitely, I struggle in a lot of these areas. Um, no, I have a neighbor whose husband is excellent at doing a lot of things. Like he built, he's done built-ins for their house and, and all this stuff. And I asked her one day, like, how did he learn all this stuff? She's like, well, when he was younger, if he did something wrong, his job was to fix it. Like, so one time when he was younger, he was like eight years old. He punched a hole in the wall and his parents made him learn how to drywall the wall. So he had to fix it. What? Like, at eight years old? Yeah, at eight years old. And I oh have my to God. my kids, like Emmett, you know, and I'm not perfect in terms of motherhood at all. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of my kids are not good at it and can't do, but like my son knows how to vacuum a floor. They know how to unload the dishwasher. Like, you know, there are mornings where like, if I sleep in and Robert sleeps in, we'll come down and Emma has set the table and made breakfast for everyone. Mind you, it's frozen waffles. He's stuck in the, in the, in the waffle thing, but he's six years old. He knew to set the table to put forks and knives out to, you know, like we expect them, they do their own laundry. Um, we put a bar that's like a lower in the, that they can reach in their own closet. They, we expect them to hang up their own clothing. We expect them to clean their own rooms. Like, you know, like, I mean, parents that we're exhausted these days. And if we don't teach our kids to start chipping in early, like we're going to be exhausted the rest of our lives. Like they need to, you know, and we, they don't get paid for it. It's chores. It's part of living in our house. If you want to live here, you have to live, you know, be part of it. So Oh, it's not easy though. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah. Cause I would imagine it takes a certain amount of mental, um, mental attention and drain to like, you know, when you, when you have these high expectations, especially with, I mean, I'm saying high relatively to the expectations I have for my kids um, is, you know, you, the, there's a certain amount of like, all right, then you have to like make sure they're doing it and, you know, keeping abreast of it, which is like, for me, like, the, the hard part is it's not like the idea of oh, this is how it should work and so on and so forth. It's more like, 
you know, you just repeat yourself over and over again. You're like, I'm going to go, I'm going to die repeating these words because I feel like I'm <laughs> doing it all the day, like every day at the exact same time, every single day. And it's so interesting to hear like how you're talking about it. I know for me, I started listening to Lindsay Hines' new show, uh, Why Is Everybody Yelling? With like some ideas of like, I was listening to one this morning, this woman, um, Bryce, talking about like you know, managing your temper with your kids and so forth. It's like, yeah, like, I really have to like start investing in this stuff because it's, you know, you can see how it's so easy to go down like these emotional rabbit holes, like in the moment. And it's like, once you're there, it's like, it's so hard to like zoom out oh, yeah. in moments where like, you know, you're all lit up. Whereas like, you really have to like do that work ahead of time. Oh yeah. I mean, again, with anything in life. So I, I, I heard about, I, what was it? A story or an anecdote. It was like, okay, let's say you're a baseball coach, right? Do you coach your your players while they're playing the game or do they coach them beforehand? Do you coach them beforehand? You teach them beforehand, right? It's the same thing with your kids. Like you have to teach them how to do things and you can't get angry at them for not knowing, you know? Like, so if you're not telling them how to do it and then showing them and then expecting them to do it, they're not going to learn, you know? My kids leave the, their sink a mess. Like it's disgusting. They brush their teeth and there's toothpaste everywhere. It, it drives me insane. And I get upset about it every day. And then the other day, I'm like, I never taught them what's expected of them when they brush their teeth. And it doesn't come naturally to kids. I never taught them that when they brush their teeth, they need to put the cap back on the toothpaste and that they got toothpaste all over the sink to wipe it down. And so I taught them. And this morning I went to the bathroom and Emmett wiped the sink down after he brushed his teeth. Whoa, like mind blowing, you know, like we get so angry because they're not doing what they, we expect them. Like, but we've got to take a step back and like think, okay, but did we teach them, you know? So. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, mean, I definitely fall into the habit of like, of doing like the, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. As opposed to staying like, this is what you should do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's much more reactive than proactive. Yeah. You can't, they can't, they don't, they can't know, you know, so but it's not easy. <laughs> it's so hard. It is. It is. And you're doing a lot of this stuff. You're doing the, the you're doing the parenting stuff. You're, you're working crazy hours, making amazing things for so many people and also, you know, doing the running stuff as well. So congratulations on everything you're doing, Erica. It really is a joy to witness from afar. And thank you so much for coming on today's show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I, I hope I, I, I tend to go off on like little random thoughts. So I hope I actually answered your questions and didn't go into my own head. I could get my head in the clouds a little once in a while. So <laughs> no, it was perfect. This is Barbara called the rambling runner over here, Erica, these, these exact kind of conversations. This is cool. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How fun. Erica, thank you so much for coming on the show. Also big shout outs to our three sponsors today. OS first beam and Paper Trails Greeting Company. I love all of these brands and companies, and I use them all the time. Uh, they are just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, you should go check them out today. Links and promo codes for all of them are always in the show notes. If you're ever listening to an episode and you want to get more details or you want to buy from one of these unbelievable sponsors uh, that support the show, just always go to the show notes. That's where you'll find the links and the promo codes for any and all episodes. So thank you so much for listening to that. If you haven't already done so, over on the Road to the Trials podcast, go check out this week's episode with Kira D'Amato and Frank Lara, who recap their performances at the Texas Qualifier last weekend, which was held by Trials of Miles Racing and simulcast and broadcast over on the Sidious Mag YouTube channel. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. 
This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.